um, for me, maybe as a last overall uh, you know, topic that I just wanted to dig into a little bit, uh, Moritz may have a few more, but uh, you know, given what we're going through at the moment, I think one point that is uh, so important, generally speaking, um, whatever you do in the investment world, uh, is risk management. Um, you know, I think that that is something that we, you know, it gets tested from time to time to to an extreme. I think that's what we've been going through again uh, the last uh, week or two. Um, and uh, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you think about it. What is, in your opinion, a good risk management framework? Because there are many different types of risk, right, in, in what we do. Um, and um, and maybe also some of the things you've learned along the way through the various uh, crises or stress periods that you've been, uh, you know, uh, trading through. Um, what are the things that stand out and... Um, you know, yeah, if you can talk a little bit uh, to, to that, that would be great. I mean, one of the nice things about the kind of style of trading that, that we do is that most of the risk management's kind of done for you by the system itself. Um, and that, that happens really to th through two different avenues. The first is volatility scaling. Uh, and the second is, the, you know, the use of a momentum filter. Um, so in terms of volatility scaling, when, when positions get riskier, um, the system will automatically reduce the size of the position to compensate. Um, so if you were unfortunate enough to be to be long S&P futures um, a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the, the VIX was at like, I don't know, 12 maybe. Um, and um, now it's at 70. So it's gone up by a, a factor of, of about six. So um, all of the things being equal, your, your position would probably have been reduced by, by you know, a factor of six. So you would have gone from being long 60 lots to being long 10 lots. And that's a purely automatic response. And it, that's regardless of any information the system has about what the future is going to hold. It's just that it, it, it's automatically reduced the position by a factor of six. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that, that you know, if, if we're trading with momentum or at least with uh, a high enough proportion of momentum in our system, and even my 50% my momentum is enough to get this effect, um, when positions move against you, they are automatically closed. Um, so you, you don't, you know, have to, to worry about, um, you know, where your stop loss level should be or, you know, you know, the, the kind of size of move in the market that, that would lead you to, to close the position. Again, it's just an automatic natural part of, 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 the, of the system. Um, and, uh, you know, for, for a long time, AHL uh, didn't employ a, a risk officer, uh, at least no one with that job title, um, because, um, well, I guess one attitude was, well, risk management is everybody's job. Uh, and the other was, well, actually, the system kind of risk manages itself, to be honest with you. Um, so that that's kind of the starting point. Um, and then um, I think on top of that, you've got to, I think it's sensible to add a, some overlays. And I, I talked about one of them already, which is this idea that the the long-term um, kind of correlation of your, your system uh, returns um, may be low, but there may be times when your peak risk is, is particularly high because just because your positions have lined up a particular way and just because market correlations have, have become more unusual. Um, so for that reason, uh, I think it's definitely worth um, having this kind of overlay in place. Now, a, a debate I've actually had um, with uh, a friend of mine who works for a, a large US hedge fund um, was was about this idea as to whether you should kind of completely go towards targeting a given level of risk on a day-by-day -day basis. In other words, saying, um, 
you know our risk will always be um, annualized standard deviation 15% a year in expectation based on what our positions are at the moment. Um, so what I, I've, I've, what I do is, is different, which is to say on average, I'm, I'm shooting for a particular level, but it might be because of the strength of my forecast that I sometimes have less than that, sometimes have more than that. Um, but if I have a lot more than that, um, then I'm, I'm going to be worried and kind of scale things back. Uh, I do think there's a there's a benefit from from scaling positions according to um, you know conviction of forecast, and I, I see strong evidence for that both in momentum and in say carry systems. Uh, and I, I believe that sticking to a fixed risk target, um, you know, you kind of lose that information. Uh, but that doesn't mean you should scale back when risk gets really nasty. The other the other things I think about are kind of sort of pushing that risk management model and saying well what are the weaknesses of that model and how can we correct it so I, I'm a firm believer in using a simple model which you understand the shortcomings of so I do use um, you know the fancy name would be a joint Gaussian model well that's basically a model which assumes that a correlation which is a linear measure of co-movement can be used to measure co-movement uh, we talked about that already and the shortcomings of that um, and also assumes that uh, asset returns um, have a normal distribution, a so-called so bell curve. Now, this is completely rubbish, right? I mean, that everyone knows that both these assumptions are wrong. Um, but, but the nice thing is that with such a simple model um, is that there's, there's nothing kind of hidden about, about what's going on inside it. It's very intuitive and un understandable and, and the shortcomings are very well known. Um, so, and what I then do is apply um, essentially uh, overlays on that model saying okay I know correlation is a really poor measure of co-movement what if I stress the correlation matrix and assume that um, you know well normally stocks and bonds have got a correlation of about zero or negative what if that correlation goes really high how does that change the, the current risk of my portfolio uh, similarly um, if what if I, I sort of say well yeah a bell curve normally is okay but what if there's a tail event like we had last week um, what if vols go to kind of the 95th percentile of the historical range? Um, you know, if I apply that stress event, what does the portfolio risk look like then? Uh, and, and that kind of works pretty well. Um, and um, I'd say it works as well as, if not better than, a more complex methodology, which would be something like saying, um, well, you know, I've got a PhD in maths and uh, I haven't, <laughs> I'm saying, you know, you, you apply, apply a kind of typical risk quant who would say, oh, well, I have a PhD in maths and what we should do is implement a much more sophisticated risk model that has, uh, you know, high moments of the uh, return distribution and has these things called co-skewness and kurtosis and, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and it's all very complicated and nobody really understands uh, what's going on inside it. Uh, and these models actually tend to be not very robust to the data you put into them. So if you take out the 87 crash and put it back in again, I know the estimates of, of risk can, can change very dramatically. Um, whereas, you know, I, I would take a more kind of heuristic approach, which is to say, will my portfolio survive a hypothetical repeat of the 87 crash? Yes or no. Um, I, I, would, I think that's an, an easier to understand and also more robust approach to risk management. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's uh, super interesting.